and welcome to the final episode of season two of Tea with Abby, the show where we talk and sip the tea about the truth of what it is like to get a business started, run a business, pursue our dreams. And I am thrilled to wrap up the season this morning with an experienced entrepreneur and incredible woman that I've had the pleasure of getting to know, Michelle Breyer. Welcome to the tea show, Michelle. Hi. I'm honored to be here. I'm, my tea is a coffee, but cheers from uh, Del Mar. <laughs> um, so you are over, you're in California right now. Yes, I am. I uh, am visiting my parents and enjoying a break from the 100 degree heat. So. <laughs> I know you have a nice sweater on and I can imagine it's kind of a cooler, crisp morning where you are. Yeah. So if my hair starts growing on camera, it's because it's a little <laughs> foggy. And that's the uh, the beauty of curly hair. You never know what it's going to do. <laughs> um, that's amazing. That's a great intro uh, for a bit of what you do. And you have quite the impressive resume. Um, currently, you serve as COO at SKU, which is a CPG incubator. Um, but, you know, what I'm also thrilled to speak with you about today is your experience as co-founder of Naturally Curly um, and texture media. I can't wait to pick your brain about that a little bit. You've been named one of the 50 most influential people in multicultural markets by Women's Wear Daily. You are a business reporter. Uh, you're a mentor at various amounts of accelerators and incubators around. Um, Michelle, do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself and what drives you to pursue your passion? Well, I've always kind of let opportunities have presented themselves along the way and I've taken advantage of them. Sometimes they're totally different than what I thought I would be doing. Um, I thought I would be a newspaper reporter for my whole career. And then um, another uh, idea, you know, inspiration came my way, um, which was uh, to solve a problem for my own hair. And, and a business arose out of that. And then after we sold Naturally Curly, I mentored for SKU and that um, evolved into a business where I could help other entrepreneurs. So it's been kind of a wonderful journey. <laughs> that's incredible. I, that, that's kind of how I feel about where Blended Sense has taken me. Um, I never envisioned myself as a CEO running a business and having employees and customers and things like that. But there's something wonderful about a problem arising in your life and saying, I think I'm going to go find a solution for it. Exactly. Before you That's, know it, it's turned into a business. Yeah. And I've had people along the way who have said, well, I want to start a website or I want to start a business. And I have said kind of, well, what's your passion? What, you know, what's the why of why you're doing it? And they're, well, I don't really know. And I think you need to know why you're, why you're doing something. And it has to kind of arise out of your own passion for something or frustration with something. So that's uh, kind of my philosophy on entrepreneurship. So take us back um, because Naturally Curly started over two decades ago. Um, what's that transition going from reporting to, hey, I have a problem. I'm going to go find a solution. Did it? quickly turn into a business or did that take some time? What was that like? Well, we never actually anticipated it would be a business. We were at a, a Sunday brunch uh, bitching about our hair and somebody overheard us um, and was just kind of intrigued that 
we could talk about our hair for like an hour and <laughs> thought, well, there must be something here. You guys should start a magazine or a website. And so we're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, we'd had quite a few mimosas and it just seemed like a good idea. And my neighbor's uh, 14-year-old son designed us a website. We all put in $300. And, uh, but it was just a hobby, a way to get free hair product. Really, that was a bottom line. <laughs> I loved getting like boxes on the front porch. And then um, we kind of tapped into a whole, uh, you know, God, millions of people who felt like we did. So slowly over time, um, we found ways to monetize our community. And, you know, it just it started taking more and more time. And we, uh, between my founder, Gretchen Heber and I, we had we started having kids and we were basically working 80 hours a week. So it became clear that, you know, something had to give. And so we kind of jumped off the cliff and said, we're going to try this full time. And then it really kind of took off from there because we could devote our full time to it. I mean, it was it was incredibly scary, but, you know, you can't at some point you can't do two things at the same time. And if you really want your business to grow, you've got to be willing to kind of take that risk. And, and that kind of pushes you to to make it work. You know, you you have that sense of urgency. And uh, yeah. And once we got to the six figures, that's when we really knew that we could make it a business. So, and we had great mentors along the way. How, how long did it take to hit that six figure mark? About four years. Um, we started, well, actually thinking about it, I guess I left the paper in 95. So it was actually seven years. Sorry. <laughs> we started devoting more time to it probably within the first four years. And, um, by the spring of 2005, we, you know, left, rented office space, and started doing it full time. Wow! Yeah, I think that's the part about entrepreneurship that you don't realize, and I, I especially have felt it over the past year with all this pressure to be to become everything the business is supposed to be in a single year. You know, by the by the end of the year, we have to be making a certain amount of revenue and customers and, or else we're not successful. But the reality is it's such a longer game. And what I have found most inspiring when I have these conversations with entrepreneurs in this in this T-series is the length of time it does actually take to bring something to profit or to bring something to the market or the 10 years of hard work that all of a sudden made this one year look like a piece of cake and that you know you can't give up because it's a long game it's, it's not an easy straight path yeah and i think people have a misconception they they look at a successful business and they think it happened really quickly but you have to be really patient and understand it may take time and you may be uh having to do it as a side hustle initially right. just to kind of see if it can be a business, but it, it really does take patience. Sometimes it can be an immediate success, but that's kind of the exception, I think. Um, what ways did your experience and uh, past life as a, as a business reporter contribute to being the founder? Uh, well, I did a lot of profiles on entrepreneurs, so I kind of saw how things evolve for them and, uh, you know, 
but I think the biggest way was that I met a lot of people and one of them in particular, um, his name is Jimmy Traybig, and I can't say enough about him. He is one of the most successful business people in Austin. He founded Tandem, Tandem Computers and sold it to Compaq. And he was a VC in town and he kind of made it his mission to give back. So he would meet with entrepreneurs and he met with us at the IHOP. I remember it vividly because we told him about our business. And I think his eyes glazed over like, yeah, fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Curly hair. Okay. Uh, just keep me posted on how you're doing. And we kept on, you know, we would call him every six months and our revenue was growing, doubling. Suddenly we were in the six figures and he became very, very intrigued. And he was somebody who always wanted to keep learning. Um, he had been, you know, really in the computer high tech business and he wanted to learn about social media and he felt like he could learn about it through us. So we started meeting in his boardroom and I remember him saying, how are you going to get to a million dollars? And we were just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, but he was all about like, you've got to think big. And he became, well, he actually introduced us to the people at the Central Texas Angel Network. And we pitched there and we were the first company to get investment from CTAM. Wow. And I think it really surprised a lot of the people in the room. We were pitching with three other companies and they were kind of traditional, you know, companies. I remember they were like all men. And then here these two women come up and talk about curly hair. And we had like kind of a little crowd around us of people who wanted to invest, you know, and mostly people who had no experience in social media. They just knew someone with curly hair and they knew the struggle that person was having. So they tapped into that and they thought, okay, I think this could really be something. So that was. Wow. <laughs> that is really neat. One, two things stood out to me there. One, I remember hearing Carrie Rupp. Um, I love her. <laughs> I think at a, at a, a, she's an investor here in Austin for those of you who are not here in Austin um, and she uh, she's of True Wealth Mentors and um, she said that in a mentorship session we have with her at Capital Factory like you know, don't be afraid to go big to dream big to talk big when you're in those conversations with those investors and those pitches because men do it with ease they have no problem at just you know hey, this is how big it's going to be and everything's going to be great. And we're women, we take a much more pragmatic and thoughtful and kind of pieced out approach. And she said, so don't forget to do that because, um, you know, you're, you're playing in a game that has a lot of men in it. And, and it's a lot of men are still writing the checks and making decisions. Um, I love that because we've had, you know, we're, we're in the fundraising journey right now. And so I've had plenty of experiences where I feel like, it's myself, my co-founder, Georgina, we're pitching, um, you know, we're a very creative, empathetic kind of product and experience. And, and we might be speaking with someone who's predominantly in oil and gas and <laughs> yeah. it just kind of goes right over their heads. And we've had to get creative in the ways we use analogies to sort of find some, you know, connection with them. Um, to, to, to try to connect with them. So uh, was there anything that you did as women pitching um, when looking for investment in a, maybe a male-dominated space? Um, how did you get them to understand the problem? Well, again, Jimmy was like our, our 
incredible mentor extraordinaire because I remember we would practice in front of him and we had done, we didn't do a business plan into like seven years into our business, which actually was probably a good thing because we let it evolve where it would go. But I remember we had a pitch and it was all emotional and about our, you know, our problems and our struggles. And he, you know, quite bluntly said, well, how am I going to make money? Like, you have to tell me how I'm going to make money. What is our liquidity event? Like, who are you going to sell to? And, you know, how big is this business going to become? And what is our, you know, multiples of what what you're going to sell for? And that was really hard to kind of switch our focus from like our emotional reason for starting the business to like the financial, which a lot of, especially male investors, they need to hear, you know, point blank, you know, you're going to make money this way. Right. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, it, that's been kind of a bit of a learning curve for me as well. Um, you know, as an actor, I'm a very emotional being naturally, but um, yeah, but, but tying in the emotional piece uh, into the financial return is kind of where I've been finding my stride a little bit in, in the, yeah. I, this opportunity is amazing and here is why um that's really cool so is this is is naturally curly texture media um this still exists today yeah 22 years later um it's now owned by essence ventures and um amazing managing editor we talk on a regular basis she's really kind of taken the reins and and taken it to the next level i mean it's really like heartwarming that this little baby that we've created, you know, continues on. And and that makes me really happy. It's actually bigger than ever. I think it had 8 million unique visitors last month. And uh, I actually got an email from uh, a L'Oreal, you know, ad buyer, you know, she was a VP of marketing and she's like, you know, I want to how do I do a big campaign on Naturally Curly? Because a lot of people still come through me because they, you know, like they met me years ago. So, you know, there's a lot of value there. And I think that's, you know, any entrepreneur, even after you sell, I mean, I mean, it can be a little bit of a bittersweet experience because you're no longer involved. You know, it can be a little bit sad when you see your business and you're no longer that involved. But yeah, you, you, have a sense of accomplishment that it can continue on without you, which is pretty incredible. You know, like I, I feel very proud of that. Absolutely. To know that there's some, that, that something was built strong enough that it's, it's values what it stood for and it's solution ultimately is still doing the, the thing that it yeah, initially. Exactly. So who knew that at brunch years ago with some mimosas, that is just wild. I love that. Um, well, and it's the other thing that is pretty amazing is like you go into a Target and there's a whole curly hair section now, like dozens of products. And a lot of those products were products that we helped bring to market in various ways. We kind of helped retailers understand that more than half the population has curly hair and you're missing out on this opportunity if you don't, you know, great products, stock products. And so I can go down an aisle and know that I had that kind of impact on the types of products that people created. So, you know, whether it was a L'Oreal or a Unilever, or it was a, a, 
uh, one woman entrepreneur. And I think that's the thing about the curly hair world. It was really driven by female entrepreneurs who were solving their own problems. I mean, it was a grassroots effort that showed the big CPGs, hey, you got to get on board with this. And I think that's a pretty amazing thing. Um, you know, when you see, you know, indie brands led by women with passion, kind of changing the way people view it, you know, creating a market. So that's, that's been really amazing to watch. <laughs> well, congratulations on all that success. And um, it's just it's inspiring to know that it's, it's possible to take a tiny little idea that started as a conversation and turn it into something that had influence and, and now you have a legacy. And um, I, that just gets me, it gets me motivated. To keep You've done that too. You've done that too. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Um, so wh what I'm curious about is now that you're in a position at SKU, um, for our viewers out there who don't really understand what CPG or accelerator incubators are, can you just give us a little um, brief definition of, of what that means? It is really surrounding an entrepreneur with all of the mentorship and resources they need to take their business from, you know, point A to point Z or point G, you know, like it's really um, helping them, you know, with the information knowledge. And in the case of SKU, I think it's really the mentors that are the, the special sauce um, because they've in many cases, started their own businesses, grown them. Um, you know, you've got people like Clayton Christopher who founded Sweetleaf Tea and Deep Eddie Vodka and Scott Jensen who founded Stubbs Barbecue and Rhythm Superfoods. And they're taking their knowledge and their connections to help these entrepreneurs, which is a pretty amazing, um, you know, it's pretty amazing for somebody who just started a business to be sit surrounded by these people who all want to see them succeed and are going to, help them in any way they can. So I, I think that happens with, you know, incubators and accelerators. It's really, um, you know, exactly what it sounds like. It accelerates the business. It helps incubate ideas and turn them into successful businesses. Right. So for those of you out there, uh, Blended Sense took part in an incubator. And then we're currently, over the past year, we've been in an accelerator. And it has done just that. It's accelerated um, our growth because we've had access to information that would have probably we could have probably found that it was a bit more out of reach. But by being in, in the accelerator, we have access to people um, to look over our pitch decks and to run ideas by and, and get in front of. Um, this SKU one that you are the COO of um, refers to specifically the SKU number of food product, correct? Yeah, the little barcode that you right. see on your on your, you know, whether it's your eggs or your, you know, laundry detergent. So I, I love the name because it really does, <laughs> um, you know, it, it really captures what it's about creating new SKUs that you're going to see on your, on your shelves. Um, I have a, a mother, a mother, daughter, friend, uh, team duo out in uh, New Jersey right now trying to bring a product to life. Um, what kinds of businesses do you find entering, like at what, uh, excuse me, I'll rephrase my question. Um, what stage is a business coming into SKU um, to be a part of that program? Uh, what is the correct 
it's not the right word. Like, what is the phase that a business is going, okay, I've been making products at home in my kitchen, and I've been taking it to farmer's markets, and I think I want to do something more with it. Is that the, uh, the phase that you're finding businesses come into, or is there another level before entering an accelerator like this? Well, it depends on the incubator or accelerator. Um, at SKU, they really have to have, you know, some traction. So we typically don't take businesses that have less than $100,000 in revenue. Although um, in the case of our last um, cohort, Track 8, we had a business um, who had done very, very well, you know, uh, blenders and bowls, which you probably oh, yeah. heard of. It's a chain of restaurants that makes acai bowls, and they wanted to create a product that you could uh, get in a, a you know, your supermarket. So they had success with their restaurants, but the the product that they were going to sell in the stores was a new product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, you know, maybe at the earlier stage. And then we had a product called uh, uh, paleo powder that already had a million dollars in sales, but he really needed help kind of taking it to the next level. Um, you know, but really has to have some traction in the market, you know, some proof of concept that you can go out there and sell. So we tend to see some that are in farmer's markets and we encourage them to go a little further. And then, you know, we've had those companies that started that way that then um, we have in our cohorts. You know, for instance, uh, Siete, which you've probably heard of, which is everywhere now. They were, yeah. They were selling their chips in little baggies to uh, Wheatsville Co-op and when they came into the program. So we really helped them go to that next level. And, you know, they they pivoted. They changed the name of their product. They, um, you know, came up with a product roadmap. But, you know, literally their products were in, in little baggies <laughs> when they came into the program. There's no starting place that's you know, they're all humble. It's all humble beginnings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the difference of starting a business 20 years ago and starting now, um, what are you finding um, really separates successful companies who are setting out to start a business in 2020? Well, I think there's more access. There's different kinds of financing your business. Like there, we didn't have convertible notes back then. Um, which would have been nice because you can raise money. Uh, you don't have to fill out your your round. Um, you know, it it we had to raise our, an A round. That was our first, you know, mm. our first finance. You know that that was the way we raised money. And now you have a convertible note and you have a seed round, and it gives you a little bit more control early on. Um, I think there are a lot of men. You know accelerators and incubators now there were none when we started you know so it was we create kind of created our own <laughs> you know jimmy came into the picture and he had friends he surrounded us with people who could help us you know for instance we had an e-commerce site and he knows knew somebody who had expertise there or um you know we really needed help with marketing and he was able to bring in people you know along the way to help us so it was our own kind of uh, you know, <laughs> pseudo accelerator, but, you know, now you really have a lot of options that can really surround you with that without having to go out and find it on your own. 
how important uh, or what are the most important pieces of taking that business from, okay, we've got some traction, um, now we're going to take it to the next level. In your opinion, would it be branding, content, um, business plan? Like what are, what are some of those key uh, pieces of the business that help bring it to the next level. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we've had people in our cohort, you know, they, we have them all do a pitch deck and, you know, I've told them, you know, it goes beyond just doing that to raise money. When you create a pitch deck, you're having to show, you know, who is your market? What is your, what are, what are you bringing that's different? Um, what are you, what is your plan? What is your product roadmap? You know, like you have to be able to summarize that in a pitch deck. So I think it's really having that very clear idea of who you are, who your market is, and and really where you want to go. Um, I think that's really key to, to growing your business. Uh, what excites you about the kinds of products or entrepreneurs that you're seeing come through your cohort? There are so many creative ideas and, you know, like Naturally Curly, they all started with people finding a solution to their problem, whether it was trying to lose weight or it was um, somebody with Lyme disease who discovered that mushrooms could help, you know, you know, solve the problem and, and reduce the symptoms. Um, so, you know, it's this you know, creativity you're, you see in these entrepreneurs and it's so energizing, you know, because they all have these ideas that are, you know, it may be a crowded category, but they found something different uh, to bring to that category. Um, you know, whether it's, we had someone this last cohort that had a sparkling water that was so different than all the sparkling waters on the market. It was a combination of kind of a fruit and an herb. And it was like so delicious, you know, <laughs> lemongrass, coconut and uh, lavender, I think it was lavender cucumber, you know, they just really unique flavors. Um, so yes, there are a lot of sparkling waters, but this was different. Um, you know, really in every category, there's some different thing that you can create that may be revolutionary. So that's, that's exciting. You get to try a lot of things. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> we eat a lot. We eat a lot of different products. It's <laughs> definitely uh, don't go hungry. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's the best. I kind of feel the same way about, you know, we service a ton of CPG products. Um, so I've been able to try all kinds of things and see Every, you know, we do health and wellness too, so I get some, some chapsticks and um, lotions and plenty of empanadas from our first customer. Yeah, well, you have such cool clients. You get a lot of the clients. I mean, some of them are SKU clients, you know, SKU companies. Um, so you actually are doing that next step of taking their idea and creating content around it that's going to help them sell their product. Um, in a more effective way. So it, it's nice to see a business like yours helping companies that we are, you know, that come through our cohort. So, yeah, well, CPG was the first vertical we went into specifically because when you launch, you, those brands are inherently dependent on content. Everything from logo design to packaging to the e commerce, you know, photography, 
to the lifestyle photos for their social media. Um, so my co-founder and I, uh, well, there's three of us, but Georgina and I specifically you know, had this argument with Albert about, you know, he wanted to go into this vertical and this vertical. And we were like, we're going to stick with CBG first. I promise it is going to be um, so valuable. And it has because I've also found in that um, vertical, there's such community and support. Um, and so we're so grateful for every customer that then refers us out to somebody else they know who has a CPG product. And I, I find that that whole uh, just industry is very inclusive, um, especially here in Austin. I wasn't- I, Yeah, I would agree. Like going to, you know, if, when there was events, um, I missed events so what much. What was that like? I, I vaguely remember. <laughs> I remember the very last one was right as the decision to close South by Southwest was happening. And um, was that the naturally Austin one? Yeah, that was that was a really cool one. Yeah. All these products and everyone's sharing ideas and helping and trying and tasting and telling you to go try this and so much collaboration and support between all the entrepreneurs present. Um, just it felt it, it felt like you could bring something to the table and you'd be welcomed and, and supported. And I think that's what I found in Austin in general to be very different from the Northeast. Um, people are interested in collaboration and understand the value of working with others um, in a way that I had never experienced before and frankly was a little uncomfortable with at first. Yeah, well, it's interesting um, because we're, I don't know whether you know, but SKU is, starting a cohort in DFW this fall. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, it was kind of a, a exciting, serendipitous uh, you know, opportunity where one of our mentors, uh, Richard Riccardi, who lives in the DFW area, he started a, C a CPG group called DFW CPG because he wanted to help create that same sense of community there that we have in Austin. And he recruited us to go up there because his goal is to really create that amazing sense of community and um, you know, that really helps spur innovation and helps, you know, create this amazing, you know, there's a magic that happens when everybody is talking and collaborating and helping each other. And it, you know, as you said, it doesn't happen in every market. I mean, it, it happens in very few markets. I think, you know, places like Boulder, um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of another market that you would have this, you know, kind of tight community where, where um, you know, there's this co communication and conversation that happens. Everyone knows each other, yeah. you know, it's, it is unique. Um, how do you think Shark Tank has, uh, influence entrepreneurship? Well, I think SKU has a lot of similarities to Shark Tank. Um, I think that, you know, uh, we do have equity mentors and they all have skin in the game. And that has an influence because, uh, you know, they're, they're number one, you know, driver to get involved with SKU is because they have a passion to help other entrepreneurs. That's, you know, the bottom line. But there is 
something uh, when you do when you've invested in these companies. And so, um, you know, I think that that is a kind of an interesting, unique thing that, that, that really Shark Tank brought to the table. Um, you know, but I do also think, you know, it really publicized in, in an interesting way how you come to, you know, the pitching of an idea, how to do it effectively. Um, you saw all these really unique companies and then they're trying to communicate in a way that gets people to invest in them. And actually um, a couple of our curly hair companies that worked with us, you know, got on Shark Tank. <laughs> it was a, a big deal. Um, but, you know, it was interesting to see them, you know, really get these people excited about their product, you know, and it, it showed how difficult that can be. You know, you can, you can be a great entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean that you have that ability to uh, communicate what you do to others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like that's, that is hard. <laughs> it is. You know, yeah, I asked because on, uh, until Shark Tank, I don't think I was familiar with that phrase, CPG, and you commonly see that's probably one of the most frequent kinds of pitches, you know, whether it's a food product or a wellness product or a tool or something, you know, that's kind of the most common pitch you see on Shark Tank. And I think it's opened up a lot of people's eyes to say, oh, I've, I've experienced something that I wish I had a product for, or, yeah, and maybe I can go do that too. And, um, granted, there's also a lot of uh, opportunity to see what not, what isn't working or what is not the way to go about doing it, which yeah. I think is equally as valuable as being success. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious because we, we talk a lot about that. It's, you know, I mean, we're, sharp, we're kind of shark tank fanatics. Um, <laughs> we started a company um, and, and just, we've had, we had a, a, one of our customers pitch on there in April, which was really exciting. Um, we're a really cool glasses company for kids out of, um, out of New York. and. Um, yeah, there's just like some neat validation that came with that. But um, yeah. So what is what is next in the world of entrepreneurship as we're in this pandemic state? We're not able to be in that event space that we were just talking about. We're not able to collaborate in person like that. How how are you navigating that? both at SKU and, and how do you see other entrepreneurs navigating this time? Well, people are getting really good at pivoting. Um, you know, you have to find other ways to, to get people excited about your product. For instance, sampling has always been a big part of how, especially food companies get their products in front of people. And I don't know if we're going to have sampling again, So you have to find another way, um, you know, to, to make that happen. Um, I would say with SKU, it was interesting because the pandemic hit midway through our co cohort. So we had to find a, a different way of presenting our information quickly, which we were able to do. I'm going to give a plug to our program manager, Alyssa Padrone, because she was able to quickly uh, turn our program into a virtual program. And then our showcase, which is kind of our big pitch event, which has always been a chance for people to sample their products to this big, you know, huge room of several hundred people who are potential investors or retail brokers. So we had to kind of 
create a virtual version of that. And we created a video, which in a lot of ways um, was more effective because it was able to kind of give you a behind the scenes of these entrepreneurs and really kind of give you a flavor of who they are. And it gave them something that they could present to, uh, you know, potential investors, you know, live, lives on. In fact, one of our um, companies from the last cohort emailed me yesterday because she has a big, kind of a big name investor who contacted her, who, who saw her on our showcase video. <laughs> so we had an audience of people around the country, um, you know, so that was really something unique. So you do have to find different ways to get in front of people. I mean, I see people who, uh, one company in particular was going to do a big press event in New York, and obviously that couldn't happen. So she had an online press event and actually had 40 key, you know, beauty reporters from everyone from Refinery29 to the Wall Street Journal. And so she was actually able to reach more people. She sent boxes with her product to each one. And um, it was super effective. So you you can't get frustrated. You just have to figure out some other way of getting people excited. Um, I'm Skew is partnering with Naturally Austin on this big cocktail hour. I don't know if you heard about it, but we got um, a whole bunch of different uh, spirits companies and uh, snack companies. And we created these recipes and we're sending out these boxes to people. And then we're having this online um, kind of informational event with different rooms that people can go into to, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, winning online or financial, you know, CPG financial considerations, and they'll have these cocktails that they can make. So it's almost like a happy hour, you know, a virtual happy hour. And it's, you know, it was really fun to come up with that. Um, you know, Emily Keeley from Naturally Austin is, is brilliant, um, but you, yeah, you have to get people excited in, in different ways. Um, so I think the norm is going to be, you know, getting creative, figuring, you know, definitely getting your products online. If you weren't selling them online, they need to be. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're seeing happen. Yeah, I feel that this, the, the parameters of what we've been experiencing, and especially in our business, has forced us to be very creative, which has led to incredible pivots uh, and discoveries that maybe we would have made down the line, you know, a couple of years into our business. But because of the situation, we were forced to problem solve now and find solutions now. Yeah. Um, I, I also think that there's so much. Um, power happening in being virtual and how we can reach others in other markets that maybe if, if for example you know we host this monthly event and um, for our creative professionals um, that used to be in person so it was only limited to who was here in Austin um, but since it's gone virtual and now we have people joining us from all around the country and we started a partnership with a tech company out of Boston because of it um, and, and then I love the idea of, um, it, it also can be, it's, we have bigger reach, but we can also be more intimate. For example, what you just said about sending those little kits and boxes of snacks and cocktails, um, just how much uh, personalization can go into reaching someone right now because it's arriving in their mail and it's a, it's a single experience for them. So it's like, there's something really interesting happening with reach, but then also intimacy 
Yeah. And I think even when this is over, you're going to see a lot of these things continue. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I don't think there's any um, kind of replacement for that one-on-one, like when you can sit with somebody or, you know, network with people at a, at a party or happy hour. But I think that the, you're having a lot more one-on-one conversations that are, you know, kind of meaningful and powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, what an incredible time to <laughs> running business. Who knew? Who knew coming into 2020 that it was going to be this crazy year? I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's there's really nothing to say. Like, I, I don't know whether you periodically you'll be having a conversation with somebody and you're talking about stay-at-home orders or pandemic. And it's like, oh my God, that's become a part of my vocabulary. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Reflecting on the first week that we all came home, which for us, we, we had our team, sent our team home on March 13th. And um, a couple of things happened for us during that weekend. Um, right before the pandemic, we had a check that was going to be coming in from an investor. And within the weekend of stay-at-home order happening, South by Southwest getting canceled by that following Monday, the deal was off the table, unfortunately, because we, you know, they didn't know what the future held. And um, and I just remember that first week of everyone being home and day five and like, can you- Making bread, like, <laughs> like, here we are months and weeks later and there's a normalcy about what's happened and, um, I mean, I'm as, as frustrating as a lot of it is, and, and it, we, I, we get very fatigued, I think, from working from home, you know, maybe once a week, once every other week, you're just like, oh, I wish I could be in a cafe or a workshop yeah. with energy. Um, I've also appreciated the, what it's allowed us to do, which is, you know, wake up early and take care of ourselves and have gratitude moments with our morning coffee and take calls and, I don't know if you know this, but I'm uh, very pregnant right now. I'm oh, I did not know that. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm about, I'm about oh eight months. Oh, gosh. <laughs> very eight, pregnant. Yeah, I'm <laughs> heading into September. I'll be having a baby. Um, and, you know, I was, I, I've heard other CEOs talk about, you know, what it was like to be pregnant and to be pitching and to be walking into an investor room and everybody just has eyes on your belly and they can't focus on your actual business. And men don't get that, uh, that attention when they become fathers. And um, I've been so grateful for this time because it's allowed me to connect in a way that clears out the noise. And then I can, the investor and I can just have this conversation. And I'll be honest about it if it comes to that point, of course, you know, like, hey, I am, you know, I'm pregnant, but, yeah. but I'm not, uh, I'm heard in a way that I have, I don't know if I would be heard if we were taking meetings in person. Um, and it's not bad also taking pitches like from your couch and sweatshirt. Yeah. Like being fancy on top, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm wearing like running shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, on a typical day, I rarely get out of my yoga clothes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been an incredible time to be alive, and um, I feel grateful to be a part of what's shaping the future of work. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Amazing. Well, I'm so grateful for your time and sharing all your knowledge with us. 
Um, I'm so excited to put this episode out because of how many CPG companies you service. Um, you step in your statement, Sip. So this is the point in the show where we like to say it out loud and we give each other a cheers. And it kind of hits home on this whole theme of this year and just really slowing down a little bit and identifying what it is, what's going on in our lives. Yeah. Coming forward with authenticity from that place. Um, I wrote it down and I, I really like this. And this is, this is where blended sense came from. Find the solution for a problem in your own life. That's brilliant. Would you, uh, would you give us your little statement tip, Michelle? Okay. Find a solution for a problem you have in your own life. Cheers. Cheers <laughs> that. All right. Well, everyone, that is the tea. And that is it for season two of Tea with Abby. Michelle Breyer, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you enjoy your time over on the West Coast. <laughs> maybe I'll see you in Austin soon. Hopefully sometime soon with a, with a baby. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much for watching Tea with Abby. Be sure to click subscribe and smack that like button so you can stay tuned. <laughs> smack that like button. See that like button? Smack it. Thanks so much for watching an episode of Tea with Abby. Be sure to click subscribe and smack that like button so you can stay tuned with new episodes all year long. And if you want to learn more about Blended Sense, visit us at our website, www.blendedsense.com, or follow us on social at Blended Sense or at BlendedSense.io. See you next week.